Hour three of the WGN Radio Theater. Lisa Wolf and I are here every single Saturday night from 10 p.m. until three o'clock in the morning. We have a new format now. We're bringing you eight classic radio shows each and every Saturday into Sunday morning. And in this hour, we'll tune into The Lives of Harry Lime, starring Orson Welles, plus the first half of The Aldridge Family, starring Bobby Ellis. And it all begins right after this short break. Hour three of the WGN Radio Theater in this hour, the lives of Harry Lime plus the Aldridge family. I want to remind everyone listening that Woodman's is the place to shop. You will save tons and tons of money, and you'll also get 12 classic radio shows when you take your Woodman's receipt, take a photo of it with your iPhone, email it to us at woodmanswgn at gmail.com. Send that in. We will then send you back within 36 hours. You'll get an email from us with 12 classic radio shows. Now, every single month, we change those shows up. So, Just shop at Woodman's, save a ton of money, and get classic radio shows. Time now for The Lives of Harry Lime. Now, this was a drama series that starred Orson Welles as Harry Lime, came to radio in 1951. These were produced in London. Welles reprised his role of Harry Lime from the celebrated 1949 film of Graham Greene's novel, The Third Man. Lime was shot and killed in the sewer beneath Vienna in the original film, so the radio series was a prequel. These were radio adventures of con artist Harry Lyme in a lighter tone than the film. The third band theme was played on a zither by Anton Karras, a very, very good series. You'll hear it now. Let's go back to October 5th, 1951. This is called Operation Music Box. It stars Orson Welles in The Lives of Harry Lyme. Presenting Orson Welles as The Third Man. The Lives of Harry Lyme. The fabulous stories of the immortal character, originally created in the motion picture The Third Man, with zither music by Anton Karras. That was the shot that killed Harry Lyme. He died in a sewer beneath Vienna. As those of you know who saw the movie The Third Man, yes, that was the end of Harry Lyme. But it was not the beginning. No. He had many lives. And I can tell you about all of them. How? Because my name is Harry Lyme. Now, kiddies, London, which is the capital of England, is noted for a number of curious historical events. King Charles was beheaded in London. They had a fire there and a plague. And it is also the place where Harry Lyme broke three music boxes and founded an orphan asylum. Please don't ever say I'm not a music lover and a philanthropist. Because I'm not. (laughs) 
And now, Orson Welles as Harry Lyme, the third man, in today's story, Operation Music Box. Good afternoon, uh, Mr. Dowdley. That's right, madam. I'm interested in a music box. Certainly, madam. We have a number. I'll go and get them. Uh, just a moment, though, Mr. Dowdley. I'm only interested... <laughs> he didn't hear you. I think he must be a little deaf. I guess so. You know, you make me homesick. What do you mean? Don't you know what it is to be homesick? Sure do. I've only been away a few weeks, and I'd certainly like to be back. But why do I make you homesick? Well, you make me think of Central Park and the Fountain by the Plaza... Fifth Avenue on a morning in May and the sound of roller skating on the sidewalk downtown. Hood of shipping on the East River. Everything, in fact. How do you know I come from New York? <laughs> I just guessed. Here's your check, Mr. Lyme. Oh, thank you, Mr. Mr. Entwistle. Uh, here we are, madam. These are all the music boxes we have. These two are 17th century and this one 18th century. This one works. That's a delightful tune, isn't it? I should have explained, Mr. Dudley. I don't care if the music boxes were made in the 17th, 18th, or 19th century. In fact, I don't care when they were made. What I want to know is, when did you buy them? But, madam, surely the value of a music box lies in when it was made, not when it was bought. Not to me, Mr. Dudley. I'm only interested to know whether you purchased any music boxes between February and June of last year. We're here to sell antiques, Miss... Uh... Chappie. Uh, Miss Chappie. Not to disclose records of our purchases. Uh, if you'll excuse me, buddy. I guess what this lady's trying to say is that she's ready to buy any music boxes you happen to purchase during that period that she's been... I'm not trying to say anything. I'm quite capable of making myself understood. Oh, Thank you. But, Sorry. Miss Chappick, do I take it that it is, as Mr. Lyme here suggests? Yes. Well, in that case, we'll see what we can do for you. Uh, what do our records say, Mr. Entwistle? Ah, yes, uh, let me see. Uh, yes, uh, during the period in question, sir, we, uh, we purchased uh, four music boxes, uh, three of which have since been sold. And the fourth? It's the one Mr. Dowdley's holding at the moment, madam. May I look at it, Mr. Dowdley? Certainly. Got a hammer. A hammer? A hammer? Yes, a hammer. Hey, you're not going to buy this music box just to smash it up, are you? Yes, do you mind? Well, it's what? all right with me. Well, I've never heard of such a thing. In 50 years' experience of selling antiques, I've never heard of such a thing. Well, why should you <laughs> care? You can name your own price. Oh, there's a little more to it than that, isn't there, Mr. Antwistle? Certainly, I think so. Miss Chappick, I don't like to see beautiful things willfully destroyed. No. I said you could name your own price, Mr. Dowdley. Oh, and that... In that case, I must warn you, the price will be stiff one. It was all. Give Miss Chappick a hammer. What? Very well, Mr. Is uh, this a habit of yours, breaking up music boxes? You don't know how many I've broken up in the last week. Oh, here comes your hammer. Here you are, Miss Chappick. Thank you. <laughs> no good. And that little act of wanton destruction, Miss Chappick, will cost you exactly 35 pounds. It's okay, Mr. Dowdley, but I'd like you to do one thing more for me, if you will. I'd like you to let me have the names and addresses of the people who bought those other three <laughs> music boxes. Uh, I'll pay a stiff price for that, too. Oh.
<laughs> Let me get your taxi. Don't bother. You know, for a minute, I'm... I thought he was going to refuse to give you those addresses. Well, he didn't, did taxi. he? Taxi. He's trying that when the flag's down. I know. He's waiting for me. Well, in that case, you can give me a lift. I don't suppose for a minute we're going in the same direction. That's just where you're wrong. <laughs> And that's how I met Myrna Chapik. My interest in this girl was twofold. First of all, she definitely started where the petty girls left off. And secondly, where's this little matter of the music boxes? My left little toe was twitching. Could have been the damp weather, of course, but with me it's usually a sign that money is in the air. Anyway, an hour later we were on our fourth martini. And Myrna was beginning to unbend. Now, come on, Myrna. What is all this? What's the idea Busting up all those music boxes. Have you heard of Jan Chabik? You mean the Czechoslovakian guy, the politician? Yeah. What's he got to do with it? The day before he died, he wrote me a letter from London. Hand me my purse, will yeah, you? Yeah, here you are. Here. You can read it. My dear Myrna, you will not know me except perhaps from seeing my picture in the paper many years ago, but then that is not surprising, because I only know you from seeing yours. The other day I happened to see in an old issue of the American magazine Esquire a colored photograph of Myrna Chapik. I couldn't help remarking the resemblance to your mother, my sister, who left for America some 25 years ago. Had you ever heard of this guy? Did your mother ever mention him? Mm -hmm. Not that I remember. Well, how come you took your mother's name, not your father's? My father's name was Chapik. He was a coal miner in Pennsylvania. It's a funny thing, your mother marrying a man of the same name, wasn't it? Well, as a matter of fact, it wasn't. She was an Italian. And the man who wrote this letter wasn't your uncle. No, he couldn't have been it. You know, I'm talking too much. I don't know whether it's you or the martinis. It's both. Well, go ahead, read the rest of it. Okay, now, my dear niece, this is a painful task which I have before me, but really there is no possible choice. You must know that when the communists seized control in my country, a price was put on my head and I only managed to escape at the very last moment by concealing myself in the tail of an American airliner which was leaving Prague that night. Like many others in Europe in those terrible last years, I managed only to take away with me the meagerest of possessions, a small traveling case light enough for me to, to carry, for I was ailing and feeble even then. I have said that the purpose of this letter is a painful one, but perhaps you will not find it so, because after all you do not know me, and surely will not receive the news of my death with any sorrow. But the fact is that I will be gone by the time you read these words, which are not intended so much for a farewell. People who don't know each other can't very well say goodbye, can they? But as a last will and testament, I am leaving you the contents of my little suitcase, Myrna, a few shirts, a necktie, and the unfinished manuscript of my last book. These you will not find very exciting, I'm afraid, and I can't imagine you're traveling across the ocean to claim such an inheritance. But there is a music box, Myrna. It's the only thing of value I could take away with me on my flight. I want you to have it, and I give you my word that it will be worth your trouble to come after it. The landlady, who is not a sympathetic woman, has not been entrusted with a secret, and unluckily she has not been paid for the rent of this attic room for several weeks. By the time you come to London, she will have sold it, and you must find out where and to whom, and you must buy it back. Mm -hmm. And now my hand is very tired, and I cannot go on pushing this pen across the paper for many more words. I send my blessing to the child of my sister, who has inherited her wonderful green eyes, and also something else almost as wonderful and almost as green. Your Uncle Yan. Huh. Almost as wonderful, almost as green. That, 
That could be emeralds. I'm sure that's what it is. And you think the emeralds are concealed in the music box? In a false bottom or I something? I don't think it. I know it. And I'm going to get those emeralds if I have to break up every music box in London. <laughs> I left Myrna a good deal later that night. He'd had a wonderful time. I had her promise that we'd meet the next evening. I also had something else. I had that list from Dowdley's antique shop. Oh, yes, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking I pinched it out of her purse. And you're right. That's what I did. Somewhere in London, there were three music boxes. In one of those three was a fortune in emeralds, and I've always been a great believer in the old adage, finders, keepers. Yes, if anybody was going to break up any music boxes... It was going to be me. Good yes. morning. Uh, is Miss Moira Corkbottle at home? No, she's out. Well, have you any idea where she's gone? Well, I wouldn't like to say for sure, but... Well, you could try the Velvet Penguin. All right, the... The Velvet, uh, the, what? Uh, it's a nightclub. Velvet Penguin, but a nightclub? This is ten o'clock in the morning. Well, if she's anywhere, that's where she'll be. Orson Welles returns in just a moment as the third man. Orson Welles, as the third man, continues with today's story, Operation Music Box. Like all nightclubs, the Velvet Penguin looked more than ordinarily squalid at 10.30 in the morning. Most of the chairs were piled up onto the tables, and by the glare of a work light, an unhappy-looking character in shirt sleeves was pounding the piano. A girl was singing... Three or four other girls were waiting their turn while a committee of fat, sleek gentlemen sat in judgment. Okay, honey, that'll be enough. We get the idea. Yeah, what's your name again? Moira Corkbottle. Yeah, we'll let you know if anything turns up. Don't call us, we'll call you. Next. Uh, pardon me, Miss Corkbottle. Yes? My name is Lyme. I'd like to talk to you for a minute, if you don't mind. What's it about? A job? Well, no. It, it... isn't. I'm not interested. I've had just about as much of this audition racket as I can take. I'm yes, I can fed imagine. up with the whole cabaret game. Just as soon go back to singing in front of a band, even in the smalls. Sorry, I just wanted to ask you about that music box you bought at Dowdley's last February. You a detective? Not exactly. You did buy one, though, didn't you? Yes, I did, but it didn't do me any good. What do you mean it didn't do you any good? Well, I thought it would soften him up. 
So often who, Miss Corkbottle? My uncle, of course. My uncle, Ben Corkbottle. You know, General Corkbottle. No, I don't know. You mean you never heard of General Corkbottle? No, I never did. Well, you haven't missed anything. He's an old skinflint and he hates women, even nieces who send him nice antique boxes filled with his favorite Turkish cigarettes on the occasion of his 101st birthday. Is he really that old? Oh, of course not, but he acts that way. He has the box. Yes, when last heard from, he had the box. I wish he had the measles. Would you like to be a good kid? Give me his address. Yes, all right. Give me a bit of paper and pencil and I'll write it down for you. Here you are. I'll write it on this. Okay. Now, look, if you see him, tell him I'm starving to death, which is true, that I speak of him constantly, which is also true, and that if he can see his way clear to sending me a hundred pounds or even a fiver, but no, he won't. (laughs) I know him. Well, good luck with the general, Mr. Lyme, and don't forget to wear your bulletproof vest. No, sir, I'm not. I say I'm a collector. Oh, dust collector? Garbage collector? What kind of collector? Well, we'll speak up. Uh, music boxes. Oh, another one. By God, the thing's turning into a positive plague. Come in, come in, come in. Let's get to the bottom of it. Thank you, sir. This will, will come into my study. Now, then, what's the explanation of this wild rash of music box collectors? Who'd want a music box? Blasted things make you jump. Give me the gym jams. Come in, come in, young fellow. Must be something in music boxes I don't know about. A fine-looking young woman like Miss. Uh, <coughs> what? Uh, what was your name again, my dear? Chapek. We know each other, General. Oh, you do? Uh, uh, yes, we do. Yes. Well, that's not surprising. <laughs> After all, you you music box bugs probably have some kind of club or other. Hold meetings, swap boxes, and all that, eh? Oh, we're going to hold a meeting, General. You can no. be sure of that, Harry. Oh, now, please, Myrna, don't misunderstand. I understand perfectly. Oh, then, now then, I haven't got all the morning. Yeah, here we are now. Now then, before this young fellow interrupted us, you were making me an offer. Yes, for your music box, General. Oh, that is if you're willing to sell, General. What's Uh your price? Two pounds. Uh, Three pounds. Four pounds. Uh, Ten pounds. Fifteen guineas. Twenty-five guineas. This is as high as I'll go. Well, that's the highest bid. (laughs) Well, going, going, gone. No, 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 don't write a check, young fellow. I'll take it in cash. You've got a nerve horning in on this. I guessed you were up to something when I missed that list from my purse. You took it, didn't you? Sure, I took it. What are you worrying about? You seem to be doing all right without the list. Only because I have to remember seeing the name Corkbottle on top of the list. And luckily, there are only three or four of them in the phone book. Smart kid. You deserve better luck. My luck's all right. I've caught up with you, haven't I? <laughs> from now on, you've got yourself a constant companion. Oh, so you'd better start getting used to it. Well, that shouldn't be hard. Myrna. Yes? Give me that hammer. (sighs) Give it another sock. No use, Myrna, no use. It isn't this one. (laughs) 
How do you do? Oh, are you Mr. Are you Mr. Chelichev? I am Count Chelichev. Oh, I beg your pardon, yes. Count Chelichev. I wonder if, if we could come in for just a moment. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I am pressed for time. Oh, we, we won't take any. Well, I suppose uh, I can spare you a few minutes. Oh, thank just you very a few much. Minutes. Thanks. Come in. Come in. Most kind of you, Count. Um, this way, swell place. Uh, it is. It's wonderful. I can I can see that you're a man of taste, uh, Count yes. Chelichev. You've got some lovely pieces of furniture it here. It is possible, possible. Oh, no, Not what I was used to in the old days, in the czar's time. Oh, I, I now, uh, what is it you want, please? What well, we, we, we I believe you're a collection you of music box. boxes. Uh, 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 please, just a minute. One at a time. Uh, yes. One uh, at uh, a I'm time. sorry, Count. Yes, now, uh, what is all it about music boxes? Uh, well, uh, I am not a collector of music boxes. I am a collector of miniatures of the Empress Catherine of Russia. Well, well, what about this music box on the table? Here, oh, I bought Count. that one, certainly. But only because of the enamel portrait medallion of Catherine on the lid. She is an ancestor of mine. Oh, is she? Yes. Hey, look, can't you see the resemblance to me? Yes, and now yes, you imagine that's uh, remarkable. Uh, but do, do you mind if I set this thing going? Uh, no, no, yes. please don't do that. Please. No. no, don't. That's all right. There we are. I am not interested in this as a music box. Oh, uh, you aren't? Well, in, in that case, Count, maybe you'd be ready to sell it. Sell it? Sell yes, it? Uh, Certainly not. Oh, but... I told you, I want it for the miniature on the lid. Uh, can't we persuade you to change your yes, mind? Sure but we're you... prepared to pay a good price no, for it. Price doesn't enter into it, my dear lady. I don't buy things to sell again. Well, this uh, particular music box happens to be awfully important to us. Yes. I can't it's help a... that. Uh, I'm sorry. I couldn't possibly sell it. No use talking. No use arguing. You know, it's a very lucky thing for you, Myrna, my girl, that you've got me as a partner in this business. I hadn't noticed oh, it. No? There wasn't much luck about the Chalichev episode. We haven't got the box. We soon will have the box. How come? Because, my dear old girl, it so happens that just for kicks, I once took lessons from one of the best cat burglars in the business. <laughs> in what was once a big private house that had been turned into three or four flats. There was a garden and a big wall. That night I got over the wall, crept through the garden, climbed up to the second floor and got through the window into the Count's drawing room. I worked quickly and quietly. I cut a small section out of the crystal cabinet with my diamond cutter that contained the Count's object d'art. I got through to the latch, unlocked it and seized the music box. And then, at that moment... Just a minute, dear. What's the hurry? Uh, What's going on? Uh, officer, we've, we've just been uh, uh, burgled. A, a burglar got in oh. my flat over there. He's stolen my father's antique music box. Did you see anyone come around the corner over there? No, sir, he, he can't have come this way. We'd better try the other way. Quick. Here, just a minute, Joe. Well, there were no emeralds in that one. No. But it was a pleasure breaking it up. Good afternoon. We'd like very much to see the Principessa Marguta Arsoli. How did you two get past the old porter downstairs? Uh, like this. Oh, I see. It's for you, honey. 
Well, I'm afraid the Princess wouldn't see you without an appointment. Uh, tell me, before she was married, wasn't she Mabel Schroeder from Dubuque, daughter of the chain store king? Yes, she and was. And she was divorced from her husband last year, wasn't she? That's right. That's who I talked to. That don't sure. mean she's looking for any boyfriends. With her money, there's always plenty of those. Well, around. don't look at me like that. I only want to speak to her. I really don't think it's possible. Here she comes right, now. Ethel, uh, good I'll afternoon, to these uh, people. Princess we've been... Uh, <coughs> Trying to locate a music box. A music box? Uh, uh, yes, it's uh, uh, quite. Uh, it's a music box we've been trying to locate. Uh, I don't know whether you anybody sent you a music box, uh, Principessa. Uh, yes, sir, we certainly did have a music box, uh, uh, Mister. Uh, um, uh, a lime. Uh, a lime. Yes. Uh, a gentleman friend of mine gave it to my little daughter Shirley. Oh. We haven't got it now. Oh. Uh, we gave it away to some charity or other. Uh, what? Uh, I believe. Uh, I believe it was the St. Andrew's Foundling Home in Orphanage down in the East End here. Shirley sure hated that music box. Why was that, Principessa? She couldn't stand that tune. Uh, what tune? Oh, you know, that awful tune. Look, this is the place, Harry. St. Yeah. Andrew's Foundling, home and orphanage. Looks as if there's some kind of a ceremony going on. <laughs> uh, silence, please. Silence for our director. Oh. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen and children, a little while ago, some kindly soul sent to us anonymously, amongst other gifts, a music box. A few days later, little Billy Gubbins, whom you all know, whilst playing with the box, stumbled and dropped it. This incident, trivial in itself, had the most surprising result. A secret compartment in the box was revealed, and in it were jewels. Naturally, we made inquiries in an effort to identify the donor, but fortunately for us, they all proved fruitless. And it is from the sale of these jewels that the building of this wonderful new wing is being financed. Here in my hands is the very box that brought about our good fortune. And I might add, it can still be used as a plaything by little Billy Gubbins. Listen. No, no. Harry! Does there happen to be amongst the visitors a doctor? A gentleman back there seems to have fainted. returns in just a moment. Ben Franklin said about honesty being the best policy. I wish I could. 
And that's The Lives of Harry Lyme from October 5th, 1951, with Operation Music Box starring Orson Welles, a show produced in London. All right, Lisa, are you ready for the Aldrich family? Only if Henry is in it. Henry Aldrich? He, <laughs> he is, I promise. The Aldrich family was a teenage situation comedy series, and it was heard on radio, seen in films and TV, and also in the comic books. It was created by Clifford Goldsmith. Henry Aldrich was a bumbling kid growing awkwardly into adolescence, and it came to radio in 1939 on NBC. It starred 20-something Ezra Stone originally, but then by 1952, Bobby Ellis took over the role. And we have a Bobby Ellis episode for you now from September 28, 1952. This is called The Bodybuilding Course. Here is part one, the first half of the Aldrich family. Henry! Henry Aldrich! Coming, Mother! Yes, it's the Aldrich family, written by Clifford Goldsmith. There's an old saying that claims you're only young once. But as a matter of fact, you can be young more than once. And the best way of doing that is to share the misadventures of a typical boy like Henry Aldrich. He'll take you right back to your own teenage days. The scene is the living room of Nancy Adams, one of Henry's favorite classmates. And the time is evening. Nancy, tell me honestly, what is it you like about Bill Turner? I don't know, Henry. I just like him. Don't you? Sure, he's all right. If you like athletes. What's the matter with athletes? Nothing. Except they're so athletic. I mean, well, well, to hear Bill Turner talk, you think he was Joe DiMaggio, the Notre Dame football team, and gorgeous George, all rolled into one. That's so loud, Henry. He might hear you. Who would he hear me? He's out in the front hall. I like him only... Frankly, is there any way of getting rid of him? (laughs) You mean you don't like him? Well, sure, I'm crazy about him only... Hey, Nancy! She whiz. Nancy, did I ever tell you about the time I dove off the top of the boathouse? Oh, Bill, I didn't even know anybody could climb up that high. Oh, it's easy. And you know that flagpole down at the end of the lake? Yes. I dove off that once, too. Nancy, how's your mother? Oh, she's better, Henry. She just strained her back a little. Boy, was that some luck I had in the game Saturday. You remember when those three guys tackled me and I carried them right across the goal for a touchdown? Oh, that was just wonderful, Bill. I don't see how you stood up. Nancy, what kind of a television set is this? I don't know. Henry, could you or Bill open this window a little, please? Sure, why not? Oh, wait a minute, Henry. I'll open it. Well, that's all right, Bill. I've got it practically... Practically... (laughs) Is it stuck, Henry? No, it isn't stuck. I just... Could you stand back, please, Bill? How am I in the way? I want to get some leverage. Here, Henry, let me show you how to open it. Now, look out, Bill. All I have to do is... Nancy, would you mind if I push this sofa away? No, Henry. Well, well, don't get up. I'll push you along. Mm. Along. Mm. Well, maybe if you just got up for a second, Nancy. Mm. Never mind the sofa. I'll just... She was who opened that window? I did. (laughs) You know, I thought I had it started. I just should have kept at it. 
Anything else you want done, Nancy? Well, there's some ginger ale out in the kitchen if one of uh, you gee wants whiz, to... I'll get it for you, Nancy. You stay where you are, Bill. You sure you don't need any help lifting the bottles? You'll find everything out there on a tray, Henry. All you have to do is put some ice in the glasses. I'll be right back. Nancy, isn't there any way of getting rid of him? This evening? Sure. Bill, Henry Aldrich is one of the nice... Nancy, pe- I'm not saying he isn't. Only, frankly... Frankly what? Well, three's a crowd... And frankly, I have crowds cheering for me every time I go out on the field. I want to be alone. Excuse me, Nancy, but is there any special way of getting your ice trays loose? Well, my mother never has any trouble, Henry. All she does is pull and they come right out. That's funny. I'll take another crack at it. Nice guy. I'd like to see him come out for football practice some afternoon. Bill, what did I tell you about sympathy and understanding? Oh, I understand, Henry. That's why I have no sympathy for him. Ah, but forget about him. What about that dance Friday night? What about it? Well, what time should I... What time should I... You know, he's going to wreck your refrigerator. (laughs) What time should I call for you? Oh, about... (laughs) Yes, Mother? No, Mother, Henry's getting some ice. I'll pick everything up, Nancy. Does your father have a hammer I could use with a screwdriver? Or a small crowbar would be even better. Henry, what's that all over your suit? It's... Well, you see, I was aiming for the ice cubes, but... Was your mother planning to have tomato juice for dinner? (laughs) There's a freshly opened can in the icebox. Oh, my goodness. Of course, if they're going out for dinner, it'll keep till tomorrow's lunch. Out of the way, Henry. I'll get the ice out. Now, wait a second, Bill. You'll need something to loosen it with. What's the matter with my hands? Some guys sure love to brag. Why, if Bill Turner... (gasps) Hey, who put butter on the floor? (laughs) I just took it out so I could get better leverage. Nancy, will one tray of ice be enough? Gee, did I loosen it that much? Nancy, I don't think you'll feel the same way about you-know-who once you get a look at your mother's kitchen. They think I better be going. Oh, Henry, do you have to? Well, I've got a lot of homework to do, and I think I better. Don't you? Well, if you have to. I, uh, I, I had a very swell evening, though. Oh, I'm awfully glad, Henry. Well, so long. You really have to go. I think I better. Aldrich, would you mind closing that door? The coach told me to keep out of draft. Oh, oh sure. I, I didn't realize I was keeping the door open. Well, what time should I call for you Friday evening? Friday evening? Sure, for the dance. Henry, I didn't promise to go with you, did I? Why, sure, why, sure. You didn't? Well, I don't see how I could have. I'm going with Bill. Oh, with Bill? <laughs> oh, I'm terribly sorry, Henry. I guess you must have misunderstood Hey, me. what about that door? I'll, I'll walk you out to the porch. No, no you, you go back and have your ginger ale. I can find my way, all right. Well, I, I hope you understand, Henry. I... Oh, Sure. You and Bill, just go ahead and enjoy yourselves. Sam, could you pass the toast, please? There you are, dear. Why didn't Henry go to the dance? Well, dear, that's what I don't know. Do you remember the other evening when he came home from Nancy Adams soaking wet? When? Last week, dear, a couple of nights before the dance. He walked into the house covered with tomato juice. And Sam Henry hasn't been himself since then. Did you have a talk with him? Yes, and all he'd say was he felt dancing was a waste of time. Mother! Uh, Mary, come in here and eat your breakfast. Mother, what's this letter all about? What letter? Why, it's the silliest thing I've ever seen. It must be for Father. May I see it, please? 
Who's it from, Sam? From the Lionel Strong Ford Institute of Physical Development, Incorporated. <laughs> Dear Mr. Ulrich, are you a man or a mouse? <laughs> I knew all the time it wasn't for me. Yeah. No man can make his mark in the world. No man can inspire the love of a good woman unless he is willing to develop his inner potential strength in our 26-week course. Sam, what in the world is that? I don't know, Alice, but I'm fascinated. <laughs> we can give you a money-back guarantee if your chest expansion does not increase by at least two inches during the first six lessons. How many inches, Father? Be quiet, Mary. That's just the first six lessons. <laughs> we also offer a shorter course for the busy executive, interested in only partial development. <laughs> Remember, decide now. Yours truly. Father, what's that? P.S. Reply by return mail and receive... Free one genuine simulated nylon tape measure, especially designed <laughs> for checking your chest development. Dear, when did you write for that? May I see the envelope, please? Father, it's addressed to Mr. Harold Aldrich. Who's he? I have no idea whether he's a man or a mouse. Well, <laughs> put the letter back in the envelope, please. It's probably for Henry. Mother, why would he want to develop? I don't know, dear. And besides, it's none of our business. Please put it back in the envelope. Well, well, I think I'll walk to the office this morning. Why, Sam, you haven't walked to the office in six years. Well, of course I have. I walked a couple of times just this last summer. It made me feel great. I'll get your top coat for you, Father. A coat? A coat? Why would I want a coat? Well, I can at least get your hat. Goodbye, Alice. Goodbye. Goodbye, leaving. Goodbye son. Goodbye. Mother, do you have any idea where my blue and white tie is? Your blue and white tie? No, dear. Now sit down and eat your breakfast. But, Mother, I've got to find it. There'll be plenty of time to find it after you've eaten. Turn around. What's the matter? I think you ought to have those shoulders on that coat taken in a little. Taken in, Mother? You just want to throw your money away? They'll be filled out in 26... I, I mean, before you know it. Henry, dear, please sit down. I want to ask you something. What about? What in the world is the trouble? The trouble? The trouble? Gee whiz, I don't know of any trouble. But you aren't yourself, dear, and when anyone speaks to you, you're way up in the air. Well, I'm not up in the air, Mother. I, I may be a little upset because I can't find my blue and white tie, but otherwise I feel fine. Then why not eat your breakfast? I'm going to eat it. I'm going to eat it. How is Nancy Adams these days? Nancy Adams? Mother. Well, all I asked is, how is she? You see this book here, Mother? You see this book? Yes. Well, that gives you an idea of what little interest I have in Nancy Adams. What about the book? I borrowed it from her two weeks ago. Well? I'm returning it. Well, that's fine. I'm returning it. I'm returning it. That's all. That's as far as I go. If you ask me whether I'd like to keep it and finish it, I'll tell her I'm not even slightly interested. Well, that's fine, dear. Now, drink your milk. You know what else? What? That's all right. Never mind. But if her folks can't afford a better icebox than the one they have... She was you like Bill Turner. Bill Turner? I hardly know him. She is. He got a lot to learn. He just goes around... You know what he thinks? Henry, what's your ambition in life? My ambition, Mary? What do you mean? That's all. I just wondered whether you wanted to be a man or a mouse. <laughs> Mary, I haven't any time for small talk. Have you seen my blue and white tie? No, but I'd love to see your chest expansion. Now, Mary. <laughs> That's what I say, Mother. But, Mother, all I was going to ask him was if he was going to take the short course of the 26-week course. Uh, Mary, will you please give Henry that letter? A letter? I don't think it's for you, though, Henry. Mary, give me that letter. Are you Mr. Harold Aldrich? Mary, you come back with that. Do you realize that's United States mail? Mary? Mother, it says right on the envelope, may be open for inspection. Mary, if you don't give me that... <laughs> oh, we won't break anything. I'm just helping Henry develop. 
Now, listen, Mary, you're only going to make me late for school. You want to take it with you and show it to Nancy Adams? Mary, if you breathe one word about this to her, I'll... Mary? Mary, come back down here with that. What are you writing, Henry? Henry! What are you doing? Homer, is there a class in this room next period? Sure. Henry, what are all those questions you're filling out? Nothing, Homer. Nothing important. It's, it's just some information I've got to send away. Could you measure my chest just once more, please? It's pretty hard with this ruler. Well... <laughs> well, just go around me real slow. It's, um... Exactly two and a quarter. Two and a quarter? <laughs> two and a quarter rulers. That's, uh, 27 inches. 27 inches? For my chest? Don't you think I'd better take off a half inch for where I went around the corner? <laughs> the only thing is, Homer, my thigh was 27, too. You mean my thigh is as big as my chest? It is. Wait, Homer, I don't want to mislead anyone. Listen, Henry, what is it you're sending for? Nothing, Homer. Gee whiz, why would I... You know whether Nancy Adams has a class here next period? Sure. I thought you were ignoring her. I oh, am. Yeah, that's why I'm waiting to return this book. When I hand it to her, it's going to end everything. Well, let me see that letter, just for a second, will you, Henry? Homer, don't you see what's printed right at the top of it? Strictly confidential. What does that question at the bottom mean? What question? Do you have flat feet? <laughs> now, listen, Homer, that just shows how your imagination works. Well, what did it say then? Keep quiet, Homer. Miss Watson just came into the room. Miss Watson? Well, boys, you certainly look busy. We, we are, Miss Watson. You working on your biology? Well... In a way, we are. Well, now, isn't that fine? You know we're going to start working on mice next week. We are? On mice? That's the first half of the Aldridge family more of the WGN Radio Theater after this short break. Don't forget, get your five free classic radio shows at 100radioshows.com. You will get five shows. They are... Fibber McGee and Molly, Jack Benny, Gunsmoke, Suspense, and Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Five great shows waiting for you absolutely free at 100radioshows.com. Yep, go to that website, get your free shows, and if you decide to purchase any of the hundreds of additional classic radio shows there, make sure you use the secret promo code. I wish I could say it like Groucho Marx. I'm going to try. Radio. That's right. Use the promo code radio at checkout, and you will save a whopping 70% off your order. Okay, when we come back from the news, it's the conclusion to the Aldridge family. Then we'll tune into Crime Does Not Pay. Stick around. Hour four of the WGN Radio Theater, and Lisa Wolf and I are here every Saturday night from 10 p.m. until 3 o'clock in the morning, bringing you eight classic radio shows. All your favorites. Make sure you tune us in and tell a friend. We love bringing you these shows each and every week. In this hour, we're going to listen to the conclusion to the Aldridge family from 1952. Then we'll tune into a half-hour drama on Crime Does Not Pay, starring Myron McCormick from 1949. All of that begins right after this short break. 
Welcome back. Hour four of the WGN Radio Theater. Don't forget, folks, we have a classic radio club and you're invited to join it. Go to classicradioclub.com and you can get 10 of the greatest classic radio shows sent to you each and every month via digital download in your email or you will get five CDs with 10 shows on those CDs in a collector case. Either way, you will get copious liner notes that I write about every single show. And uh, go to our website, learn all about it, classicradioclub.com. All right, in our last hour, we began listening to the Aldridge family from September 28, 1952, The Bodybuilding Course, starring Bobby Ellis. Here's the conclusion. Yes, we're going to compare their development with that of man. What's that? Come on, Henry. That's the end of the period. There's a class coming in. Hello, Henry. What are you doing in here? Well, well, Nancy, I've been waiting. I've been, I've been filling out. I, I, I've been... Henry, you're getting ink all over yourself. I am. Here's a blotter. Um, well, Nancy, I, I just wanted to tell you how much I enjoyed this book. Oh, I'm awfully glad you returned it, Henry, because Bill Turner is anxious to get it. He is. Are you sure you're through with it? Oh, yeah. After all, even if I weren't through with it. Naturally, if Bill wants the book... Where have you been for the last week? Just around. Just around every place. Hey, Henry, come on! You go ahead, Homer. I may be held up here a second. Why, please? Oh, you'd better go, Henry. I just wanted to tell you, though, how much I enjoyed your book. Henry Aldrich, don't you have a class this period? Yes, Miss Watson. I'm on my way right this minute. Goodbye, Henry. Goodbye. Boy, is Nancy a good-looking girl, Henry. You think she's so good-looking? I think she's terrific. Well... The way I think of her, she's good-looking, but I wouldn't ever want to... Henry, let me have a look at that letter, will you? What letter? About your flat feet. Now, Homer, listen. (laughs) Homer. Homer, where is that letter? I haven't got it. Homer, I put it in this Latin book. I put it right here in the ablative absolute section. Well, don't look at me. I didn't even touch your letter. You suppose I put it in Nancy's book? You did. Well, why would she be interested in your flat feet? Homer, I didn't know I put them there. I mean, the letter there. I was just talking to her, and I may have just stuck it in there. Well, Homer, I've got to get that letter. Why? Think I want a thing like that to be read publicly by Nancy? Well, you certainly can't get it now, Henry. They haven't started class yet. Well, I'm not going in with you. I don't want the whole class to look at me. Keep quiet, Homer. I'm going back in and get that letter. Will you all get your pencils, please? I beg your pardon, Henry Aldrich. Is there something we can do for you? Why, uh, Miss Watson, I'm sorry to interrupt your lesson like this, but... I just returned Nancy to a book. Uh, I mean, I mean, Nancy's desk has something in it I'd like to want. I mean, me. Well, is it anything you can't do without for the rest of the period? Well, yes, ma'am. I just have to have it. Well, if it won't take more than a second, you may go to her desk and get it. Thank you, Miss Watson. In the meantime, will all of you be copying what's written on the board here? It's <laughs> quite, quite Nancy, Henry, what on earth is it you want? I'd like to borrow that book again. But Henry, you didn't have to come all the way back into class and embarrass me. But I just happened to remember. I, I haven't finished it. I thought you said you had finished. Or did I until I got out in the Henry, hall? Henry, will you hurry, please? Yes, Miss Watson. Sure, Henry. Thanks very much. Uh, Henry, may I ask what book that is? This book I just got from Nancy? Yes. Well, it's... It's just a book. What is the title? <laughs> Rita's Revenge. <laughs> and that is the book you were in so much of a hurry to get? 
Well, I'll tell you, it isn't the story I'm so anxious yeah, to get. the book, please. <laughs> the whole book? The whole book. <laughs> Couldn't I take just one look? Please don't open it. No? May I have it, please? Yes, Miss Watson. And I should like to see Nancy Adams immediately after class. Miss Watson, Henry, she... will you please leave this classroom? Yes, Miss Watson. I'll go. <laughs> we'll come back to the Aldrich family in just a moment. Sundays on this station are really full of top radio shows. But I'd like to tell you about just one of them. Theater Guild on the Air. For seven seasons, the Theater Guild has been bringing you the brightest stars of Broadway and Hollywood and some of the world's greatest plays. Tonight, the comedy attraction is Ring Lardner's baseball story, Elmer the Great. Your stars are Eddie Bracken and Wanda Hendricks. Now, the play concerns Elma Kane, a pitcher with the best right arm in the three-eye league, but a brain which has failed to vibrate with a clear thought since birth. Now, Elma refuses to leave Gentryville, Illinois, for the big league because he's in love with Nellie Poole, owner of the grocery where he drives the delivery wagon. But Nellie guesses his secret and fires Elma. Well, from then on, it's all Ring Lardner fun. So check your newspaper for broadcast times and tune to NBC tonight for Theater Guild on the air. You'll enjoy Elmer the Great. And now getting back to the troubles of Henry Aldrich. Henry has decided that he needs a course in physical development. And after filling out the rather intimate questions on the application blank, he discovers that he has left the blank in a book belonging to Nancy Adams. The scene opens in Henry's school at the close of a period. Listen, Henry, this will make two classes I've missed just because of you. Homer, all you have to do is just walk up to Miss Watson's desk there, pick up Nancy's book, and walk out with it. It's as easy as pie. Are you sure Miss Watson isn't in there? No one's in there. There isn't a soul in there now. You like pie. Why don't you go in and get it? <laughs> Well, gee whiz, Homer, I was going to stand here in the doorway and keep watch for you. Well, if anyone does come along, Henry, give me a signal. Clear your throat. Sure, I'll, I'll sort of cough. Okay, I'll go. That's it. Just walk right up as though you own the place. <laughs> Which book is it? The one your hand is on. This isn't it. Sure it is. Isn't that book blue? Sure, but it's uh, The Advanced Essence of Poetry. It must be there, Homer. Well, come here and show it to me. All right. Wait a second, I'll close the door partway. Homer, I'm almost positive Miss Watson didn't take it with her. All right, show it to me. Gee whiz, it's a book with a blue cover. Blue cover? Oh, this must be it. Yes, Miss Watson. Henry, someone's out in the hall. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Quick, Homer, duck, have you got it? Where are we done? Get down here beside her desk. Did they come in, Henry? No, they just closed the door. Well, come on. Let's get out of here. Not so fast, Homer. Wait until I've gone down the hall. But, Henry, I've got to get to my next class. Quiet. Open the door easy. I'm going to. You must be stuck. <laughs> Let me try. Henry, this is all your fault. Now, don't get panicky, Homer. We'll get it open. How? Oh, it's locked. You're crazy. Why would anybody lock a door in broad daylight? we have to do is throw ourselves against it. Okay. One, two, three. Don't you stand there, Homer. Help me up. 
I guess they locked it all right. You mean we're locked in and I can't get to solid geometry? Well, at least they didn't see us, Homer. But, Henry, I'm weak in geometry as it is. Well, well, all we have to do is climb out that window. But what good will that do? We're way up on the third floor. Homer, stop arguing. Give me that book and let's go. Nancy, could you take these keys down to the main office, please? Yes, Miss Watson. And, Nancy, if you're quite sure you won't let this book interfere with your studies anymore, you may have it. Yes, Miss Watson. I'm sorry you let Henry Aldrich have it. After all, he has much more important things to attend to than Rita's revenge. Yes, Miss Watson. He's a very nice boy, Nancy. At least he has his good points. But I do wish you'd become more interested in someone who takes things just a bit more seriously than Henry does. Yes, Miss Watson. this fire escape? Well, gee whiz, Henry, we have to get out of here somehow. Don't you realize this fire escape goes right past all the second floor classrooms and never goes below the second floor? Well, keep quiet, Henry. Suppose somebody should see us out here. Let's close the window. Now, quiet now, Henry. I'm being quiet. That's it. Make all the noise you can. Homer, all we have to do now is go up the fire escape to the roof. And then I suppose we just jump off. It's bound to lead to something, Homer. Come on. Have you got Nancy's book? Sure. Here, take it. Is my letter in it? I don't know. Hey, Homer. What? This isn't Nancy's book. She was, this is Miss Watson's report book. A report book? What made you think my letter would be inside this? You said blue, so I grabbed blue. <laughs> but you should have looked, Homer. Boy, if we get caught with this, we could even, we could even be expelled. Just for having a report book? Sure. Well, you can be the one that takes it back, Henry. All we have to do is open the window and... Be sure no one's in there, Henry. No one's in there. <laughs> she whiz. Lift, Henry. I am lifting, Homer. Move back so I can get some leverage. What's the matter, Henry? Are you weak? Well, gee whiz, maybe I do need... Wouldn't you think I could at least open a window when it's an emergency? Boy, you're really in a fix. You've got Miss Watson's reports and Nancy's got your measurements. Sure. <laughs> but probably by this time, Nancy's read the whole thing. Come on, Homer, we've got to get off this fire escape. Boys! Boys, what are you doing up there? Who is it, Henry? What are you doing up there? It's Mr. Bradley. He's down in the courtyard. Boys! Why, we're just trying to open a window, Mr. Bradley. Don't you know the rules about going out on the fire escape? Are there any special rules, Mr. Bradley? What are your names? Henry. Aldridge. Oh! Homer! Brown. Who? Henry and Homer. Aldrich and Brown? Huh. Yes, sir. Go <laughs> now and fire escape and report to my office at once. Yes, sir. How would you like to have us get there, Mr. Bradley? Any way you can. <laughs> the only trouble is, Mr. Bradley. What's that? Nothing. We'll get down. <laughs> And how long have you been a student in this school, young man? About three years, Mr. Bradley. And this other young man? About three and a half, Mr. Bradley. But that was on account of the mumps right on top of the measles. 
I see. And you both know those fire escapes were placed there for emergency use only? Well, the fact is, Mr. Bradley... It wasn't enough that you were out on a fire escape. You climbed in a window and broke right into the middle of Professor Vanderhoff's French class. Well, you see, Mr. Bradley, it was the only way we could get off the fire escape. Professor Vanderhoff's window was open and Homer, must you lean on my desk? No, sir, excuse me. I thought you were through with us. I don't know whatever gave you that impression. Excuse me, but can I interrupt you, Mr. Bradley? You're Bill Turner, aren't you? Yes, I'm the one that carried three men over our goal Saturday. And what were you sent in here for? Well, I suppose I shouldn't have been reading this book during study hour, Mr. Bradley. What's the title? Rita's Revenge. (laughs) Rita's Revenge. I see. <clears throat> Henry. Yes, Mr. Bradley. What do you think of a boy who would spend his time reading a book like that? Well, I guess it's pretty bad, Mr. Bradley. That's what I say. I see. Do you know what I think all three of you boys need? No, sir. Suppose you wait here, all of you, while I step out and get your record. Yes, sir. Bill, where did you get that book? From Nancy. And what business is it of yours? Listen, Bill. Could I borrow it a second? Nancy's book? All I want to do is take it for just one second. What for? I just want to... I just want to... Can't you even let me look at it? Keep your hands off. Let me have that. Keep away, do you hear me? Hey, Henry, look at what fell out of it. There's your letter right on the floor. Gee whiz. Bill Turner, you take your foot off that. You make me. You hear me? Take your foot off that letter. Henry, somebody's coming. I don't care. Mr. Bradley, Mr. Washington, Henry. Hello, Nancy. Close the door. Yeah. Let go of my leg, Aldrich. You lift your leg. Do you hear me? Lift it. Boy, stop it. <laughs> lift his leg, Henry. I need more leverage. Hey, Bill, cut out. You're twisting my head. Yeah? Bill Turner, you stop that. Darn you, Bill. There. Henry. Gee, Henry, you knocked him out. Oh, boy. You lifted him right off the floor. Hey, what happened? Oh, he's all right, Henry. Pick him up before Mr. Bradley comes in. Come on, Homer. Let's lift him under the couch. Oh. Listen, Aldrich, what did you hit me with? I just used my bare hands. Didn't I, Nancy? Now then, young man. Turner, did anyone invite you to lie down on that couch? <laughs> no, Mr. Bradley. I'll help him up, Mr. Bradley. Don't you think he can get up himself? Well, I'm up. Well, young lady? Oh, uh, Miss Watson asked me to bring her keys down here. I'll take them in one moment. Turner, here's what I want you to do. I want you to spend a part of each lunch hour for the next ten days picking up the papers in the corridors of this building. (laughs) On all three floors? On all three floors. And as for... How... How did Miss Watson's report book get here on my desk? On your desk, Mr. Bradley? Nancy, would you see that she gets it back? Yes, sir. Now then, Aldrich and Brown. Yes, Mr. Bradley? Yes, Mr. Bradley? I'm sending you to the gym instructor. He needs a couple of huskies like you two to help him move the steel lockers. Move? Them? Yes, <laughs> Aren't there quite a few, Mr. Bradley? There are 350. It will take every afternoon for the next two weeks. Gee whiz! That's all right, Homer. You heard what Mr. Bradley said. They need a couple of huskies like you and me. Aldrich, what's that you're tearing up? Nothing. It's just sort of a letter I've decided I won't need anymore. A radar network to detect the approach of planes can't do the entire job of protecting our country from a devastating surprise air attack. That's up to us as individual citizens. 
Right now, the Air Defense Command needs 300,000 more volunteers for its ground observer corps. Both men and women from teenage up can contribute a few hours of their time each week and perform a valuable service to our country. Write upon your nearest Civil Defense Center a right to Ground Observer Corps, Air Force, Washington, 25, D.C. That's what I mean, Nancy. No matter what I touch these days, it crumbles right in my hand. <laughs> the Aldrich Family is written by Clifford Goldsmith. Henry is played by Bobby Ellis and Homer by Johnny Fiedler. Mr. and Mrs. Aldrich are House Jameson and Catherine Roth. Your announcer is Dick Dudley. Listen again next week, same time, same station, for another sparkling half hour with the Aldrich Family. Good night, everybody. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. And that's the Aldridge family from September 28, 1952, starring Bobby Ellis in the bodybuilding course. And hope you enjoyed that. Dan Seymour doing the announcing on that broadcast, served on NBC. Lisa, are you ready for Crime Does Not Pay? Always. All right. This crime drama was based on a series of films released by MGM beginning in 1935. MGM had its toe into radio syndication with the adventures of Maisie and the story of Dr. Kildare, the Hardy family, and this was another one of its series. Came to radio in 1949, lasted until 1952. These were moralistic crime stories featuring B-movie actors in the lead roles. Now, New York's best supporting players rounded out the casts, including Everett Sloan, John Gibson, Donald Woods, and Martin Gable. This particular episode stars Myron McCormick. It's called Dead Pigeon from December 19, 1949. Here's Crime Does Not Pay. Crime Does Not Pay. <laughs> Where are we going, Dasher? Going? <laughs> We're not going. We're there. Yeah, you heard him, Georgie. We're there. This garage? Sure, what's wrong with the garage? Just the place for a nice, friendly game. Come on up the ramp, Georgie. I, I don't feel like playing, Dasher. Sure you do. You said so. Y yeah, but I, I just remembered I don't have no dough on me. You won't need any dough, Georgie. No, no dough for this game, Georgie. Holly. Harry. What's going on? Get up that ramp, Georgie. We got a new game, Georgie. It's called Stick the Pigeon. In the interest of good citizenship and law enforcement, we present Crime Does Not Pay, based on the famous Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer series of short subjects. In just a moment, you will hear... Dead Pigeon, starring Myron McCormick. They breed in the slums of the big cities and in the slums of the rural countryside, those parched earth, sagging roof slums of the farmlands. 
They want what others have. And when the proper means does not exist, they take what they want. Making jungles of their minds and living according to the jungle's law of kill or be killed. They give each other nicknames for color. Louis the Dasher because of his velvet-colored top coat and pomaded hair. Ohio Ollie because of the tune he whistled. Jack the Kid for obvious reasons. But Harry Roper had no nickname. His last name was enough. Harry was an expert with a four-foot piece of clothesline. They met these four as the general staff under the Dasher's command to consider a matter of security. Cut it, Ollie. This is business. Oh, meet and call to order. You heard the Dasher. Go ahead, Dasher. Make with the talk. It's a cinch. George has got to go. George? That punk, what did he ever do? One word. Pigeon. George? A stoolie? You heard me. It don't seem possible. Pipe down. Listen to the kid. I'm walking down East Main, see? Minding my own business. <laughs> That's different for a change. Cut it, Ali. Okay, okay. So you was walking down East Main? Yeah. And about a block up the line, I see George. You know that crazy walk of his, the way one shoulder of the left one is always lower than the other? It's always easy to tell him that far away. Get on with it. Anyways, all of a sudden, up comes a proud car alongside George. The door opens, in jumps George, like he was used to it all his life. Just in with the cops. But an hour later, I'm in the drugstore across from the station house. Out comes George and walks away. It don't prove nothing. Maybe they had a piece on him from the prowl car. That was the day they picked up Stan right out of his hideaway. Nobody knew where he was, except us and George. What else? The day before they broke up the game back of Marty's laundry, George was down at the DA's office. Two days before they shot it out with Johnny Sugar, I saw him make a pinch on George. A rap that didn't stick more than three hours. That's enough. Me too. When do we give it to him, Dasher? Tonight, if we can find him. We'll find him. Want me to look? George likes me. We'll all look. <laughs> two by two. What's the pitch? You'll stay with me. We'll make the candy store at Seneca and Newcastle, our headquarters. Harry, you take Ollie. Work out of the all-night beanery over at Lincoln and Park. That's near the garage where the kids stashed that hot car. We'll check by phone from the pay stations. Whoever finds George talks him into a small game in the garage. No shooting, understand? I want Georgie to know why and how he's getting it. <laughs> Any calls, Ali? Nothing. This is my third cup of coffee and nothing. How much coffee do you think I can drink? Never mind that. George will be around sometime tonight. If we miss him, we'll hear from Dasher. We ain't gonna miss him. You got something there, pal? How much longer are we gonna walk, Dasher? Until we find him. Why'd we use the car? My feet are killing me. George wouldn't get in a car. Anyhow, I wear shoes the right size. The dames don't care if you got big feet. You suppose Harry and Ollie found him? If they did, Pop's got a message over at the store. Yeah, this kind of thing always spoils a party for me. <laughs> Think how the party's gonna be spoiled for Georgie. <laughs> Thank you.
never noticed before. The street's awful quiet this time of night. Oh, morning. That's why I said no guns. I get it. I sold George. Take a look at this. Come over here under the lamppost. What is it? A note. Read it. Meet me in my office Wednesday, 10 a.m. Tom Edwards. Hey, that's the D.A. Let's walk. I figure we'll plant that note on George. When the cops find him, they'll find the note. Newspaper boys will get it and print it. And everybody'll know George was a stoolie. They'll pin it on us. <laughs> Don't worry, kid. First, Edwards is D.A. in the next county. He couldn't be interested in us. Two, I want everybody to know. The other pigeons will know, too. I think the warning will take. Dasher, you're a genius. Uh, smart enough, anyway. Dasher, up ahead. Close to the buildings. At the side of the street. It's dark in there. Wait till he gets near the lamppost. Yeah, it's Georgie. I know that walk any place. Come on, kid. Right. Hi, Georgie. What's your hurry? Oh, Oh, hiya, Dasher. You want any place special? No, no place special. Interested in a little game, maybe? Maybe. Which cooking? Blackjack. Oh, I'm lucky at Blackjack. Where? Central Garage. We made a deal with the Grace Monkeys. What do you say we go over and take a hand? Sure. Why not? Let's walk. Why are you so lucky at Blackjack, George? Well, any combination of seven is my lucky number. I get it. Think you ought to play tonight? Why not? Today's the 11th. Oh, the date don't mean nothing. Just the cards? And the dice. There's Pop's Corner. Lights are still on around here. Night I'll show at the movie. Wouldn't pay for Pop to keep open otherwise. It'd pay Pop to stay open only for us. Any other neighborhood, it'd attract too many nosy cops. Wait for me, I'll only be a minute. Yeah, sure. And we'll be here. Now, like I was saying, kid, any combination... Any messages, Pop? No, nothing from nobody. How's business? Any business? How can it Anybody be? in the back room? I want to use the phone. Nobody in back, nobody in front either. If it gets no better, I'll give it up and try it. Got him. Check. Fifteen minutes. And double check. Well, that was quick. And to the point. Uh, Pop. Yeah? Anybody wants to know, the kid and I have been in and out of here all evening. That's the truth. To see you, Pop. Good luck with the sodas. Almost there, Dasher? Almost. Why? My feet hurt. <laughs> That's what I said just before we met you. Funny. They're okay now. I thought you said Central Garage, Dasher. Did I? Where are we going, Dasher? Going? <laughs> We're not going. We're there. Yeah, you heard him, Georgie. We're there. 
This garage? Sure. What's wrong with the garage? Just the place for a nice, friendly game. Come on up the ramp, Georgie. Right. I don't feel like playing, Dash. Sure you do. You said so. Yeah, but I, I, I just remembered. I don't have no dough on me. You won't need any dough, Georgie. No. No dough for this game, Georgie. Holly. Harry. You here, too? Hey, what's going on? Ramp, Georgie. Hey. We got a new hey. game, Georgie. It's called <laughs> Stick the Pigeon. No, no, you can't... Come on, get him inside before he wakes up the whole neighborhood. Get up, get up there. Just look at Bishop. No, no, get him in the back, way back. Come on. That's it. No! No, I didn't do nothing. Honest, I'm clean. I understand. And for Marty. And for Johnny Sugar. I I couldn't help it, Dasher. They had it on me for that Mercer Street job. They was going to fry me if I didn't talk. Now, Dasher. What else did you tell them? Nothing. Nothing, I swear. Let me go, Dasher. Let me live, Dasher. Dasher. Show him, Harry. Only four feet long, Georgie. No, no, not the rope. What do you got for him, kid? Steel. Makes a hole about a sixteenth of an inch across. Big enough. No, no, shoot me, Dasher. Not the pig. Shoot me. You're going to burn, Stan. Marty will work his hands off in a jute mill. Johnny will go to the rock. We hate stoolies. And in a very few minutes, you, my friend, are going to be one dead pigeon. Okay, fellas. No! I don't want to die. No, please. Well, let me forget the note, kid. This pigeon is going to make a real fancy dressed package. They found George, the dead pigeon, next morning. The stolen car into which his body was tossed was abandoned on a quiet, tree-shaded residential street. A passing policeman noticed the cloth of George's coat caught in the door of the locked car. One looked through the window, and that particular policeman was on his way to the nearest call box. Shortly thereafter, prowl cars, squad cars, an assistant medical examiner, and the wagon from the city morgue converged on the spot. That tree-shaded residential street was quiet no longer. The M.E. is through, Lieutenant. Death by multiple stab wounds and strangling. Pockets? No, nothing except this. Now, meet me, my office, Wednesday, 10 a.m., Tom Edwards. Oh, Billy Dew from the D.A. Yeah, next county. Must have been a stoolie. We'll find out since we check his prints. Let's have a look at him. Uh, he's a mess, whoever he was. So's the car. Boys checking the plates? Well, that won't give us anything. I'll beat him another car. Standard practice. This one wasn't pretty, even living. What's this black stuff on his back? <laughs> Smells like oil to me. Yeah, it is oil. It's funny on his shirt, not on his jacket. You know how they operate. Pull his jacket over his head and let him have it. It falls on his shirt. Yeah. Oil. Look, Sorrell. Not one word to the newspaper boys about that note. Why not, Lieutenant? They'd love it. I know, but that's a warning to other stoolies. We're not doing any favors for the gangs yet. And run a check of all public garages within, say, five miles of here. That's a large order, Lieutenant. I know, Sorrell, but that oil comes from the floor of a garage. I'll bet on it. And I want to know which garage has a record of a car like this one. We might pick up some interesting leads that way. Never can tell. <laughs>
company's come, Lieutenant. Picked up Joey here when he came to work tonight. Lieutenant Swenson, this is Joe. Hello, Joe. They still call you the baker? Uh, no more, Lieutenant. I'm, I'm going straight now. I got this job and been sticking to it. Honest. He's washing cars at that certain garage. Well, just tell us the truth, Joe. You'll be all right. I don't know nothing, Lieutenant. I pick up and deliver cars, too. I'm out of the garage most of my shift. Yeah, we know that. The reporting to the probation officer, Joe? Uh, yes, sir. I thought so. You know, I think you're a lucky break for us. Me? Lucky for you? Sorrell, get a chair for our friend Joe. Of course, Lieutenant. Would you uh, sit down, Joe? I, uh, that is what... I said I... sit down. Yes, sir. Now start talking, Joe. What, what about... Oh, stop that. You know about accessory after the fact. I don't know nothing. There was no call either to pick up or deliver at your garage from midnight last night until 4.12 this morning. The record's here on this sheet. You were there. All right, all right. I was sleeping in one of the cars where I could hear the phone. And hear and see a murder committed. The murder our medical examiner says took place between 1 and 4 a.m. this morning. That left blood stains in the rear corner. That left oil smears on the back of the victim. You didn't sleep through anything like that, Joe. Now stop stalling. Or you'll go back to your cell up the river. Have a heart, Lieutenant. If I talk, I'm good as dead. If you talk, you'll live longer and better. Better than behind bars, Joe. I, I can't. I can't. He was a stoolie. They'll give it to me the same way. And you saw it. You did see it. I, I'm scared to talk, Lieutenant. I want to live. I want to live. Uh, if all the lily live. All right, sir. I'll take him down to Davis Street Jail and lock him up. But I didn't do anything. You're a material witness. And your bail is going to be as high as the DA can get the judge to make it. <laughs> Step, keep step. Hey, you're here to exercise, so exercise. Say no playground, keep moving. Blackie, no you talking. heard? You know the rules Joe DeBaker is here. Cell 23. Material witness, George the Pigeon. Pass it. Check. Hey, Phil. Joe DeBaker. Cell 23. George the Pigeon. Material witness. Pass it. I thought I just said no talking. Shut up, you hear? Uh, yes, sir. I wasn't talking, sir. Get word out, Joe the Baker. Cell 23, material witness, George the Pigeon. Gotcha. I'll pass it. Here I am, Keys. Is that you, Ollie? Uh, yeah. No name's Jerk. Sorry, I heard something on the grapevine over Davis Street. Spill it. They got a witness on that pigeon killing. They couldn't. Who is it? Joe the Baker, remember? Yeah. Where, where was he? Asleep in a car. Noise woke him up. Brother. Dash will want to know about this. Fella, you earned your money this time. They set the bail? Yeah. $100,000. Looks like they want to keep him. That's it, Dasher. Of all the lousy breaks. And a character like that. Okay, Ollie, we'll get him out. Spring him? No, legitimate. We'll bail him out. Well, we get the hundred G's. <laughs> Don't worry about that. The Constitution says no big bail or something. I'll send the mouthpiece into court in the morning. He'll get that bail reduced and we'll put it up. Get it? And then what? When Joe the Baker walks out, we'll be waiting for him. <laughs> He'll jump there, all right. 
They'll never find him. And it'll be worth every cent it'll cost us. Okay, pal, you can have bail now. Me? We'll put up a hundred years for me. How should I know? Only it wasn't that much. Some mouthpiece talked to the judge. It's down to ten G's. So long, Joe. It was nice knowing you. Drop us a postcard, Joey. If you can. <laughs> Get going, pal. I ain't going. What? I don't know who put up the money. I ain't got no mouthpiece. I ain't going. Can't make me go if I don't want to. I don't want no bail. I want to stay here, here where I'm safe. You think I'm crazy? The minute I step on the street, I'm dead. I won't do it. Nobody can make me. <laughs> You giving me this straight, Ollie? Straight like I got it. Our pal, the Keys, says Joe suddenly got smart and refused to bail. What wised him up? Seems like the other characters in his cell block began wishing him goodbye. Uh, That's what he got wise. I'd like to... Easy, Dasha. That's my job. Those dumb, stupid... Next thing you know, the baker will start to talk. I wouldn't be surprised. If we could just get him out for 30 seconds. If, if. Haven't you any imaginations? Figure something. Long as he stays in there, who can touch him? Well, uh, how about a writ or something? Well, they're holding him as a material witness without a charge for his own protection. It don't look good to me. We can't get him out and we can't get in. Can't we? What are we paying that jailer for? A news broadcast? Maybe you've got something, Dasher. The first time I ever heard of anybody who wanted to get into jail. You got an idea, Dasher? Why can't Joe have a visitor? No reason why not. Oh, no, Dasher. This is one job that's not for me. What's well, so tough? Our boyfriend lets one of us in. We get to Joe. The keys turns his back. A fast shiv, and that's that. Dasher, you mean right in his cell? Oh, the visitor's room. Not regular hours. Maybe 10 o'clock at night. Keys will play along. He better. He has to go home when he's off shift. It uh, don't feel right, Dasher. Too close to the line. If Joe the Baker speaks up in court, we're over the line. You better count me out, Dasher. Yeah, me too. Uh, I need room to work. Jail's no place for me. Holly? I, I get a rash every time I go near a jail. Uh... Uh, they don't agree with me. Honest, Dasher. But I'll wait outside with the car. I get it. You're all turning chicken. Do we got to take care of him that way? If there was any other way, wouldn't I figure it? Yeah, sure you would. Hey, couldn't we draw straws or something? Short man has to go in. No straws. A job like this, you have to want to do or you'll slip someplace. All right. This is the way it has to be. Holly. Yes? Contact your pal. Okay, okay. So the baker gets a visitor tonight. Who's that? You got a visitor, Joe. Visitor? Me? Want to see me, and since when visit is 10 o'clock at night? You ask too many questions. Come on. Hey, I, I don't understand. Come on, on your feet, Joey. Let's go. Okay, I'm coming. Hey, this ain't the way to the visitor's room. 
Well, not the day room. At night, we got a special place down near the kitchen. Yeah. Okay. It's in here, Joey. Hello, Joey. Nice to see you. Yes, you. Shut up. Don't use my name. Keep away from me. Keep away. Help. Keys. Hey, Keys. Keys won't help you. He's gone to bed. Don't come near me. Don't. I'll crown you, Dasher. Don't come close. Put down that baseball bat, Joe. Take your medicine like a man. <laughs> ice cream. Chocolate ice cream. We use the bat to pack the ice in the ice cream freezer. What a break. Put it down, Joe. Be nice and I'll make it quick. Otherwise, in the belly. Come on, put it down, Joe. I won't. You don't get me, Dasher. I'll break your arm. Put away that shift, Dasher. Put it away. You're gonna get it, Joe, just the way Georgie got it, and you know about that. I saw you. I saw you. Keep away from me, Dasher. Well, get Joe's back. All right, Dasher, drop that knife. Look out, Flatfoot. I thought he was going to cut me. I thought he was going to cut me. I will, I will, you lousy stooly. Got a hard chin, Dasher. My jaw. My jaw's cracked you. Bracelets on him, Sorrell. You didn't figure we'd have a tail on you, did you, Dasher? You didn't figure we'd pick up Ollie and the kid and Harry in the car outside. And you didn't figure to fry for killing Georgie, did you, Dasher? You just didn't figure a lot of things. Crime does not pay. Myron McCormick, who has starred as Louis the Dasher in Dead Pigeon, will be back with you in just a moment. Here in person is Myron McCormick. I know that many of you believe that the world of Louis the Dasher, Ohio Ollie, and George the Pigeon is a world of fantasy, drawn from the vivid imagination of a writer of crime stories. I'm glad that you can believe this, but the fact remains that you must not believe it because this world really exists. This is shocking, I know, and you have every right to ask not only what is to be done about it, but how it happened and how such things can be prevented. The police do what can be done. This underworld came into being largely because of the kind of greed that breeds in slums and dire poverty. These things can be rooted out at their source. This is a basic goal toward which our civilization is moving. When we have reached that goal, you and I and all good citizens, then we will have demonstrated once and for all that crime does not pay. Thank you, Myron McCormick. Crime Does Not Pay is written by Ira Marion and directed by Marks B. Lowe, with music composed and conducted by John Gart. Technical advisor is Burton B. Turkus. The events, characters, and names used in the story you've just heard are fictitious. Any similarity is purely coincidental. And that's Crime Does Not Pay from December 19, 1949, with Dead Pigeon, starring Myron McCormick. Hope you enjoyed that. Let's take a quick break, then it's more of the WGN Radio Theater.
When we come back from the news, it's the Charlie McCarthy show from 1954, starring Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy with special guest Tennessee Ernie Ford. We'll also tune into a quarter hour episode of the Bill Stern Sports Newsreel starring Bill Stern with special guest Dizzy Dean from 1949. And speaking of the Bill Stern Sports Newsreel, we have a great fun fact about that posted on our Facebook page with a great photo of Bill Stern. So you can learn a little bit about the background of that show on our Facebook page. Go to WGN Radio Theater. All right. After the news, we'll be right back. Hour five of the WGN Radio Theater. Lisa Wolf and I are here every Saturday night from 10 p.m. until three o'clock in the morning playing all your favorite classic radio shows. Make sure you tell a friend. We hope you enjoy these shows that we bring you each and every week. Thanks to WGN, the world's greatest radio station on the planet. In this hour, we will have the Charlie McCarthy Show from 1954. Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy, and special guest, Tennessee Ernie Ford. We'll also tune in to a quarter-hour episode of the Bill Stern Sports Newsreel from 1949. Bill's special guest will be baseball player Dizzy Dean. That's all coming your way after this short break. Time now for the Charlie McCarthy Show. Good comedy. Edgar Bergen became a ventriloquist at a very young age. He had a carpenter create a dummy, the wisecracking Charlie McCarthy. Now, the duo became talent show headliners in Chicago while Bergen attended Northwestern University. Now, their radio debut came on Rudy Valley's show in 1936. They were an instant success and were given their own show for Chase and Sanborn Coffee. It became one of the highest rated programs in the history of radio, even knowing that Bergen provided the voice, listeners perceived Charlie as a genuine person. Now, he also had a slow-witted Mortimer Snurd dummy and a man-hungry spinster Effie Klinker. In 1941, Bergen married fashion model Frances Westerman, and one year later, future actress Candace Bergen was born. In 1978, after 48 years in show business, Bergen sent his monocle top-hatted partner to the Smithsonian Institution. It's time now for a January 3rd, 1954 episode of the Charlie McCarthy Show. Their special guest is Tennessee Ernie Ford. Let's listen to this half hour uninterrupted now, the Charlie McCarthy Show. From the Hotel Sahara in Las Vegas, Nevada, Lionel and Plus brings you the Edgar Bergen Show with Charlie McCarthy. I'll clip you, sir. Help me. I'll mow you down. It's Sunday night and time again for Edgar Bergen with Charlie McCarthy, Mortimer Snurd, and Ray Noble and his orchestra. Brought to you transcribed by the makers of famous Lanolin Plus products for softer, more youthful-looking skin and lovelier, more manageable hair. Tonight, our guest is Tennessee Ernie. And now, here's Edgar Bergen with Charlie McCarthy. Hey. (laughs) 
Hiya, folks. Well, Charlie? Yes, Durgan? Here we are. Here we are in Las Vegas, Nevada. Ah, yes. Las Vegas. That means, let's get rid of it now. Why wait till March 15th? Yeah. <laughs> oh, is that what it means? Yeah. Where the fresh air cleans your smog-filled lungs and the slot machines clean your dough-filled pockets. <laughs> Love this town. Well... So you really like it here in Vegas, Charlie? Yeah, I do. I'm cleaning up on a little sideline I got here. Oh, a sideline? Yeah. What do you do? I paint buttons on the chest of guys who've lost their shirts. Oh, I... <laughs> I'm running out of paint. All right. <laughs> well, I did notice they have a lot of uh, slot machines around. Oh, everywhere. Just everywhere. Have you been in the washroom? Is that... A... Yeah. <laughs> You have to hit two plums and a cherry before you can use the roller towel. Or... Yeah. Oh, I'll stop making up those stories. I think Las Vegas is, is, a, is certainly an exciting town. Yes, it is. Isn't it fantastic the way it's growing and spreading? Oh, it's amazing. I heard about a fella here the other day who bent over to tie his shoelace, and before he could get up, they built a hotel around him. Yeah. <laughs> He is now the lobby, all right. <laughs> and doing good, all right. <laughs> but you, you must admit, some of the hotels are, are very exclusive. Well, they certainly are. With influence, you can get a nice room with an adjoining desert. Yes. <laughs> there is a big demand for rooms here. Uh, you know, lots of businessmen come here to relax and, and get away from uh, nervous tension. Yes, yes, but then again... You still see a lot of them with their wives. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Charlie, we're very fortunate to be staying here at Milton Prell's beautiful Hotel Sahara. Yeah. yeah. With this sumptuous surrounding, this lavish modern decor, its air of elegance, gracious hospitality, its unparalleled... Uh, do you think it's obvious he's getting his room for nothing? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway, you seem to be enjoying yourself, Charlie, out there at the swimming pool. <laughs> oh, those girls in those bathing suits. Yeah. <laughs> Never before has so little tried to cover so much for so many. <laughs> but the girls are good scouts. Oh, they are. Oh, you can see their hearts are in the right place. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about losing your shirt. Those girls. Oh, I say, fellas, were you discussing the girls in those zucchini bathing suits? Uh, Ray, that, I think you mean bikini. Uh, no, boy, no. No, I mean zucchini. Nice. They can barely squash themselves into uh. it. Isn't it? <laughs> Another disaster for Las Vegas. First a racetrack and then this character. <laughs> But, Charlie, really, isn't Las Vegas exciting? You know, I hear one chap walked out of the casino here in the Sahara the other day with half a million dollars. You don't say. Yes, yes. Why? Of course, he came in with a million. Oh, I see. Ray, do me a favor. Yes? Beat it. Oh. Go check the water line at the Boulder Dam. <laughs> From the bottom, that is. <laughs> well, I will later, Charlie. Right now, I'm going out for a little spin. Roulette, anyone? Oh, <laughs> Bergen, I wish I could get some of that easy money around here that's floating around. Just money, 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 money. All right, Charlie, Charlie. All you ever think of is money. Have you ever heard the story of King Midas? Uh, no. No, I haven't. 
I've been lucky so far. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell it. Yeah. One day, King Midas was counting his money, and suddenly a vision appeared before him. A vision? Yes. What's that? Well, when you see something that isn't there, what is it? Time to go on the wagon. No, no, no. <laughs> well, this vision said to King Midas, I will give you one wish. You can have anything you want in the entire world. And Midas said, I wish that everything I touched would turn to gold. Uh-huh. Sounds like a lot of bullion to me. <laughs> he touched a rose, and that turned to gold. He touched his food, and that turned to gold. The poor man put his hands on his stomach. I get it. Pot of gold. No. no. <laughs> when the king's beautiful daughter kissed him, she turned to solid gold. That evening, the vision appeared and took pity on the king. He told him that to rid himself of the golden touch, he must go down to the river and bathe in the water. So the king did and became poor but happy. Now, what have you learned from this story, Charlie? Well, I say... Uh... Don't take a bath if you want to stay filthy rich. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's always a great pleasure to welcome back our guest for tonight, Tennessee Ernie, because he brings his own wonderful brand of entertainment with him. Ladies and gentlemen, Tennessee Ernie. Kiss me big, make me know it. When I've been kissed, I want to show it. When our lips meet just under my nose, don't turn me loose till it curls my toes. That's the kind of kissing I've been missing. Baby, won't you kiss me big? Honey, 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 listen, listen, listen. I love you madly, but something's missing. You got the kind of love that I can't resist. But when I say kiss me, I want to be kissed. Kiss me big, make me know it. When I've been kissed, I want to show it. Grab a hold of me and let me hear you shout. Kiss me, baby, till my eyes pop out. That's the kind of kissing I've been missing. Baby, won't you kiss me big? Listen, 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 am I getting through to you about this kissing? When you pucker up, I nearly go nuts. When I want a hot meal, don't give me cold cuts. Kiss me, bitch, make me know it. When I've been kissed, I want to show it. I want to be hugged, I want to be grabbed. I want to stand there and quiver like I've been stabbed. That's the kind of kissing I've been missing. Baby, won't you kiss me big? Oh, kiss me big, make me when I've been kissed, I want to show it When our lips meet just under my nose Don't you turn me loose till it curls my toes That's the kind of kissing I've been missing Baby, won't you kiss me, <laughs> oh, dear, dear, though. What a gang here, huh? Yeah, though. I fly through the air with the greatest of these. My ears help a lot if there's a good breeze. <laughs> well, Mortimer, I was hoping I would see you here at, at the Sahara. Well, it ain't too late yet. I might still arrange it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Isn't Las Vegas a fantastic town? Oh, yeah. Must have been a lot of wagons wrecked around here. Yeah, never seen so many wheels. All right, all right. <laughs> Some of them still spinning. Yeah, yeah. I was just telling Charlie it's amazing how fast this town is growing. Well, I guess they're using the right kind of fertilizer. Yeah. <laughs> And what's wonderful is it's just an hour and a half from Los Angeles by air. By the way, you flew uh, over here, didn't you? Oh, no, 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 I didn't fly. No, 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 I, I took an airplane. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> I know, you should have, because we booked passage for you on the Western Airlines. Didn't you have a nice trip? Oh, yeah, yeah. What do you think of airplanes now that you've had a flight? Well, they're great, yeah. Something no airline shall be without. Yeah. <laughs> Did you enjoy the food on the plane? Yeah, it's the first time I ever ate chicken on the wing. <laughs> <laughs> that was a gasser. Yeah. How about the hostess? They didn't serve any. No, no. <laughs> no, the hostess is the pretty girl in the uniform. Did she give you some gum? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she gave me some gum, yeah. She said it was from my ears. <laughs> well, I fooled her. Yeah, well, when she wasn't looking, I chewed it instead. Yeah. You must admit it's the best way to travel. Air travel is making the world smaller every day. Well, I hadn't noticed that. Back home, it still seems to be the same distance from the house to the uh, bathroom. Yeah, I did. That... You know, this year was the 50th anniversary of flight. Do you know who invented the airplane? Oh, the Ritz brothers? No, no, no. <laughs> Andrew sisters? No, no. The Wright brothers? Yeah, that's right, yeah. It's interesting how they got the idea. They were sitting on the beach one day when some seagulls flew past. They studied and studied the seagull, and then they went home. Do you know what they built? A seagull. No. <laughs> An airplane. Oh, yeah. You see, their problem was to conquer gravity. Do you know what gravity is? Is that the stuff you put on mashed potatoes? No, no, no. <laughs> Would you like me to explain what gravity is to you in a nutshell? Well, let's do it right here. There's more room. Yeah. <laughs> now, for instance, you know when you jump up in the air, yeah. you always come back down to earth, don't you? Well, I've been doing it lately. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Why do you come back to earth? Well, I live there. You live there. <laughs> No, Mortimer, it was gravity that brought you back. Well, I'll be darned, yeah. Now, do you understand why you can't coast uphill on your bicycle? Well, sure. Why? I ain't got no bike. <laughs> <laughs> you throw them over and I'll keep swinging at them. Yeah. Well, I give up. Anyway, Mortimer, you did enjoy your flight over here on the Western Airlines? Oh, yeah, I did, yeah. Except when we landed here at the airport, everybody was staring at me and laughing at me. I didn't like that. What was wrong? Well, when I got off the plane, I, I unfastened the wrong belt. <laughs> And now, ladies and gentlemen, from the stage at the Hotel Sahara, the Charlie McCarthy players starring Charlie McCarthy and Tennessee Ernie present a historical drama of one of the great moments in the saga of Las Vegas. (laughs) 
the time, Pioneer Days. The scene, the eastern terminal of the Pony Express. Two of the most trusted couriers are reporting to their chief. Reporting for duty, Tennessee Ernie. Yeah, yucca flat Charlie. <laughs> Men of the Pony Express, this is a tough assignment. You have a long ride ahead of you. You'll have to change your ponies 12 times. Well, I'll change them if Tennessee will burp them. <laughs> oh, I wish these ponies would grow up. All right, this is serious, men. Let's cut out the clowning. This is a dangerous job. You're riding through to Las Vegas. Las Vegas? No, no, no! What are you afraid of? I thought you wanted to die with your boots on. Yeah, but I still want to have my boots. Oh. <laughs> He's been there. Men, there'll be Indians and outlaws trying to stop you, and I know you can handle them. McCarthy, do you have your six-shooter? No, boss, but I got two three-shooters. <laughs> two three-shooters? I'm doing it the hard way. Uh... Yeah, he's been there, too. Yeah. Never mind, men. Here is your assignment. Take these three packages, get them through. The fate of Vegas depends on you. All right, Tennessee. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Okay. On to Vegas. Giddy up, Get please. up there, boy. Get, Get up there. Hey. <laughs> Look at him go. <laughs> you know something? I think we should have got on him first. <laughs> yeah, it happens every time. Yeah. They caught up with their horses around Kansas City And then on they rode, on and on, night and day they rode Yeah, from now on we better keep our eyes open, Tennessee yeah. We're entering this outlaw territory Ah, calm down, McCarthy Well, there's nothing to worry about Look, Charlie, a masked gunman Pull. How do you do, chaps? Stick them up. Reach for the sky, hands up, and all that sort of outlaw rot. You know. Who are you? Me? I'm the third James brother. But, uh... But there are only supposed to be two James brothers. I've never heard of you. Oh, oh I'm the one who stayed home. <laughs> Haven't you ever heard of home James? Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. I always make my victims laugh before I kill them, you know. <laughs> Then we're safe. We haven't snickered. Yeah. <laughs> now, I say, I, I'm warning you, partners. I'm a dangerous vermin. Very yes, right. I just held up a stagecoach. What'd you get? A strained back. Those stagecoaches are heavy, you know. <laughs> now, chaps, look, you really must hand over those packages you're taking to Vegas. Come and get them. I think you got a yellow streak down your back. Good heavens, you're right. My bag of orange pico must be leaking again. <laughs> You know, if you were a man, you'd give us a fighting chance. Oh, very well, yes. Look, I have just one bullet in this gun. Good. And we will play Russian roulette. Here, you go first, old boy. All right, all right. I'll, I'll hold the gun up to my head. Good luck, pal. I'm there. Oh, you made it. Yeah. Now it's my turn. Yeah, go ahead. Oh. Now it's my turn, old boy. Oh, goody, I won! <laughs> hey, the bullet went right through his brain. Lucky he didn't hit a vital spot, huh? <laughs> the 
man, we have to make up for that lost time. Las Vegas is dependent on us. Come on. Hey, hey, here we go. Hey, Yucca Flat. We've been riding for two weeks. Yeah. We're going through a town now. You think we ought to stop and rest? No, no. We gotta reach Las Vegas. There's only one thing that can stop us. Oh, hello, boy. That's it. <laughs> wow. The Pony Express just got derailed. Everybody stops and rests here at my place. This is Halfway House. Mm. Yeah. I can see you got a dress to match. <laughs> Yucca Flat was never like this. Come in, boys, huh? Come in and relax. I'll take care of those packages for Vegas. Uh-oh. Yeah. She's after them, too. It's a trap. Yeah, but what bait? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're cute, little one. Will you stay? I can, ma'am. You know the slogan of the Pony Express. Neither rain nor sleet nor snow. My arms are around you. Oh, they are, aren't they? Doesn't say anything about a heat wave, does it? <laughs> Lady... You're tampering with the males. I like it. I like it. <laughs> Heat wave. Lady, I bet you're not so much. Oh, no? See that mustache of yours? Mm -hmm. One kiss from me and... Yeah? Brush fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What about me? What about me? Hold it, boy. We don't want it to spread into the woods. I've wasted enough time. This is it. Let's have those packages for Las Vegas. Yucca, look. She pulled a gun on us. Where could she have hidden it? <laughs> if you don't hand over those packages, I'm gonna shoot. Come on, Yucca. Let's run for it. I never saw a woman that could hit anything. Here we go. Here we go. Uh... McCarthy, what's the matter? Well, don't just stand there. Bandage my anything. <laughs> And so, on they rode, these iron men, with the city's destiny depending on them. Over the mountain, and then into the intolerable burning heat of the desert. But still they rode, on and on. <sighs> I can't stand it no longer. Lost in this trackless desert in the blazing sun, a beaten down, I'm burnt, yeah. parched. Yeah. I tell you, I'm going mad, mad. McCarthy, how long have we been in this cotton-picking desert anyway? <laughs> 20 minutes. Gad, time drags. Yeah. McCarthy, look at them buzzards a circling overhead. Yeah. We're goners. What makes you think so? One of them just flew down and hung a sign on me. Uh. Approved by Duncan Hines. Uh. Listen to him. Yeah. Uh, this is the inland version of ebb tide. <laughs> no, them buzzards won't get us. Yeah. You've got the canteen, McCarthy. There's still a little water left in it, ain't there? Uh, no. <laughs> that was good. Better wipe my lips. Hey, Tennessee, let me have that red bandana you're wearing. That's no bandana. That's my tongue. <laughs> that knot in it fooled me. <laughs> I think we're done, Yucca. Uh, we'll never make Las Vegas with these packages. Now, wait a minute, Tennessee. We're almost there. Look at that sign. You are now approaching Las Vegas. Have your money ready. Yeah, and look at the directions underneath. Yeah. To reach Las Vegas, take Mountain Pass. Or if you want to bet against the house, take Mountain Don't Pass. 
Let's go on to Vegas. Look, we're surrounded by Indians. Oh. We're goners. Oh, yeah. One of them's coming toward us. Yeah. We can still make it. It's only four miles past that point. Come on, let's try. Okay. Come on. Uh, four's your point, boy. Put your money down. <laughs> Who are you? Me, head of Las Vegas tribe. Me, chief crazy roll. Chief crazy roll? Yep. Me roll them dice all the time. Never win. Go crazy. <laughs> well, uh, look, great red stomach. Uh, we got to get through to Las Vegas with these packages. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll do anything if you'll just let us go, Chief. Huh? Okay. We'll let one go if other marry youngest of my 46 daughters. Yeah. You got 46 daughters, Chief? Yep. Me super chief. Yeah. <laughs> well, that explains the caboose anyway. <laughs> Yeah, and that's quite a cow catcher you got there, too. Cow <laughs> catcher. <laughs> yeah. Well, where's one married daughter? Hey, uh, uh, one of us has got to do it, Yucca. Yeah, Those yeah. packages must get to Vegas. Yeah, yeah, and besides, maybe she's beautiful. Huh? Me call them daughter. Oh, come from Lodge, oh, Princess Morningstar. Yeah, I am, Papa. <laughs> Holy smoke. Touch it and see if it curls up into a ball. <laughs> Chief, is that really your daughter? Ugh. She sure is, yeah. Uh, daughter, take him after wife. She from Old Crow tribe. Old Crow? Well, thanks, boy. I'll have a shot. <laughs> Might as well toast some bride. Oh, I don't know which to choose. Chief Bush on lip or varnish fade? <laughs> Let's see. Me like him Bush on lip. Get me a razor. Gonna shave your mustache? No, I'm gonna cut my throat. <laughs> Each night I will sing to you. Yeah. You belong to me. I belong to you. <laughs> That's the Indian love call. Yeah, no wonder they're a vanishing race. <laughs> okay. Bush on lip, married daughter. Little totem pole can go. No, come on. Nothing doing. We're both getting out of here. Come on, Tennessee. Okay. Let's run for it. Come on. That's right. Yeah. Indians can't hit anything. Oh. Uh... Oh, what happened, McCarthy? Oh, my anything is taking an awful beating today. <laughs> we made it, Yucca. There's Las Vegas. Yay, we brought the packages through. We saved the town. And of the Pony Express, I express as mayor our undying gratitude to you. Where are the packages? Here they are, Mayor Baker. Uh, but tell us, Mayor... We went through prairie, mountain, desert. We were shot at by bandits, Indians, ambushed. We were almost killed. What's in those packages that saved the town? New cherries for our slap machine. <laughs> now, here is Edgar Bergen. I would like to thank Tennessee Ernie and Mayor C.D. Baker for joining us here tonight. And until next Sunday, then, good night, everyone. Remember to listen to Edgar Bergen with Charlie McCarthy, Morty Stern, Ray Noble, and the entire ensemble brought to you by Lanolin Plus over the CBS radio network at the same time. And remember, even if your beauty's on a budget, you get the very best when you get Lanolin Plus cosmetics for lovelier skin and beautiful hair. Tonight's Edgar Bergen show with Viola Bond, Jack Kirkwood, and Elvia Allman was produced and transcribed at the Hotel Sahara in Las Vegas by Sam Pierce, script by Norman Paul, Cy Rose, and Zeno Klinker. This is Bill Baldwin speaking.
This is the CBS Radio Network. And that's the Charlie McCarthy Show, a broadcast from January 3rd, 1954, starring Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Their special guest, Tennessee Ernie Ford, is heard on CBS. All right, Lisa, time now for a quarter-hour episode of the Bill Stern Sports Newsreel. Now, Bill Stern was born in 1907, and he landed his first job as a sports announcer in 1925 over WHAM in Rochester. His experience in theater and vaudeville as a stage director and manager carried over into his broadcasting as he brought a very dramatic flair to the microphone, especially when describing Friday night boxing matches. Best known as the host of the Colgate Sports Newsreel, which ran from 1937 until 1956, this 15-minute show He told tales of sports legends and strange occurrences, which kept the listeners glued. Although the stories stretched the limits of credibility, no one doubted that Stern was the master storyteller of his day. And you will love hearing this broadcast. Now, let's go back to August 19, 1949. His special guest is baseball legend Dizzy Dean. Here's the Bill Stern Sports Newsreel. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Bill Stern with a Colgate Shave Cream Sports Newsreel. Colgate Shave Cream and Bill Stern is on the air. Colgate Shave Cream and Bill Stern with stories rare. Take Bill's advice and you'll look keen. You'll have a face both smooth and clean. Colgate Shave Cream and Bill Stern. The 12th edition of the Colgate Shave Cream Sports Newsreel, featuring America's most famous collector of yarns and stories. Some legends, some hearsay, but all so interesting, we'd like to pass them along to you. And to do this, here is radio's number one sports reporter, Bill Stern. Hello, everybody. First, I want to thank all the great stars. Bill Powell, Frank Sinatra, Pat O'Brien, Ronnie Regan, Tex and Jinx. All of you, pinch it for me while I was away. You did a wonderful job, and I'm deeply grateful to every one of you. Our guest tonight is one of the greatest baseball players of all time, Dizzy Dean. But before you meet Dizzy Dean, here is real one. For courage and determination, no sports star tops Lou Brissy, the sensational young pitcher for the Philadelphia Athletics. Although forced to wear a heavy brace to support his left leg, which was shattered by a shell burst during the war, Lou has become in just two seasons one of the leading pitchers in the major leagues. Lou Brissy has licked his shaving problem, too. He's a brush and lather man, like many of you. And he chooses Colgate Lather Shaving Cream, and here's what he writes. Dear Bill, my whiskers are plenty tough and used to give me some rough innings with the razor. But Colgate Lather Shaving Cream gets them so soft, so fast, my razor shaves me close and clean the first time over. Not a trace of pull or scrape. You call Colgate Lather the shave cream of champions, but in my book, it's the champion lather cream for comfortable shaves that are always slick and smooth. Thanks for tipping me off to this perfect answer to the old stubble trouble. Thank you, Lou Brissy. I know every man will agree when he tries Colgate Lather Shaving Cream, and here's why. Colgate Lather is light, and it's fine textured. It completely surrounds and softens each bristle. Yes, sir, that rich, stay-moist lather supports the whiskers so your razor doesn't pull or skid. Instead, it cuts through clean and smooth, and it leaves your face feeling cool and relaxed. So try it, men. For really clean, cool, comfortable shaves, get Colgate Lather Shaving Cream, the lather shave cream of champions. 
Reel two. Portrait of the strangest fight on record. We've told you many strange stories about boxing. But this story of boxing is unlike any that you've ever heard before. Every word of this story is true. Yeah, it's so incredible that you may find it hard to believe. So listen then, ladies and gentlemen. Listen to the strange story of what might be the most amazing fight of all time. This fight took place back in the year of 1912, when the lightweight champion of the world was a rough, tough fighter named Ad Walgast. Ad Walgast, who battled his way to the top by beating all opposition to become the world's champion. That is, Ad Walgast had beaten everybody but one man. That one man was another great fighter, a Mexican named Joe Rivers. That's why when these two fighters finally did meet, the eyes of the entire sporting world were on Ad Walgast as he prepared to defend his title against Mexican Joe Rivers. The fight took place on July the 4th of 1912, and for the first 12 rounds, the crowd saw the dirtiest, the most vicious fight that's ever been fought. Then, then came the 13th round. The 13th round with a lightweight championship of the world at stake. And suddenly, suddenly it happened. Both fighters lashed out with vicious rights at the same time. Each man struck the other man right on the chin at the same instant. Each fighter dropped down to the canvas. It was a double knockout. Both Ad Walgast and Joe Rivers were knocked out cold at the same moment. It was the only double knockout ever scored in a world championship fight. However, that's not the end of this story. For exactly 11 years later, in 1923... Had you been in the receiving room of a Los Angeles hospital one evening, you would have seen brought into that hospital the former lightweight champion of the world, Ad Walgast. A few seconds later, another man was brought into the same hospital room. This second man was Mexican Joe Rivers. So, 11 years after these two men had wound up on their backs, stretched out side by side in a championship fight... These same two men were again on their backs, stretched out side by side, this time in a hospital. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. There's still more to this absolutely true story. This and Mexican Joe Rivers met once again. For this year, Joe Rivers came to see Ad Walgast. Yeah. This year, Joe Rivers did come to see Ad Walgast. Even though now, now... Ad Walgast, the former lightweight champion of the world, is in an insane asylum. Real three. Profile of a strange man. This is the story of a man who was born in Lucas, Arkansas. This man was also born in Holden, Oklahoma. This man was also born in Bonn, Mississippi. How can one man be born in three different states? Ladies and gentlemen, I do not know. But this man says that he was. So then, let's listen to the incredible story of a strange man who says he was born in three different states. He began his baseball career in the Western Association. In Houston, Texas, he fell in love with a pretty girl. He asked her to marry him in one of the strangest proposals of marriage ever made. For he said... Honey, why do you say we get married in a baseball park at home plate? I'll marry you all right, but not at home plate. Next, he joined the St. Louis Cardinals. With those St. Louis Cardinals, he became the most famous pitcher in baseball. Then... 
As fast as this young pitcher had come up, he went down just as fast. Ladies and gentlemen, everything I told you about this man actually did happen. His name, his name was Dizzy Dean. And here he is speaking in person. The most famous baseball pitcher of yesteryear, the immortal Dizzy Dean. Good evening, Bill, and good evening, folks. I ain't a ball player anymore. I ain't a baseball broadcaster either. But I used to be, and a good one. What if I did say he slid into third? He was thrown out anyway. Besides, where did folks get off criticizing my grammar? Chucks, I only went to the second grade, and if I'd have gone up to the third, I'd have passed my old man. I guess you wonder how I was born in three different places, like Bill just said I was. Well, one day, three newspaper men came to me and asked me where I was born. I didn't want to have them all print the same story, so I told one I was born in Arkansas, another I was born in Mississippi, and the third I was born in Oklahoma. I ain't so sure about my birthday either. I always thought it was January the 16th, but my dad says it was August the 22nd. But I figure I ought to know best since I was the one who was being born. But getting back to broadcasting, I like working in a broadcasting booth. You know what a broadcasting booth is. That's a hog pen with Venetian blinds. You ought to know, Bill. You've been in plenty. You're so right, Diz. And thanks so much. Good luck and good night, Dizzy Dean. I'll be back in just a moment with a strange story of a dead man. But first, here's Real Four, Bob Warren. Good brush and lather shaves depend upon two things. Good blades and good shaving cream. If your blades satisfy, but your shaves don't, Mr. You Try Colgate Lather Shaving Cream. You'll see, Colgate Lather takes the roughness and irritation out of shaving, gives you the smooth, cool, comfortable shaves you're after. Right, right Bill? It sure does. Colgate Lather Shaving Cream has a light, fine texture that gets down to the base of your whiskers fast. And it stays rich and moist on your face. It doesn't dry out. The result is, your razor doesn't drag or pull. Instead, it cuts through clean and smooth. And you get a slick shave, a cool shave, that leaves your face happy all day long. Champions in every sport have discovered Colgate Lather Shaving Cream. So why don't you... Right, for shaving comfort, shaving smoothness. Use the right cream, the light cream. Buy Colgate Lather Shaving Cream, the lather shave of champions. Real fine. Portrait of a dead man. That's what I said. This is the story of a dead man. But wait a minute. Let's go back and begin this story at the beginning. So this dead man was once a boy. An Italian boy who'd been born in a little town in Italy. And like most little boys, he was athletic. Only this Italian boy was a good athlete. When he was very young, he took up the sport of fencing. And he soon became an expert fencer. However, there's another side to the life of this young Italian athlete. For as a youngster, he was always getting himself into trouble. In fact, he got himself into so much trouble that finally, in desperation, his parents paid his passage to the United States to keep him from disgracing the family name. And so this young Italian boy left Italy, and he came to America. When he landed in New York City, he was broke. So broke that he had to take a job as a dishwasher. But even in New York, he still managed to get himself into trouble. This time, he got in trouble with the New York police. However, he was not put in jail. No, 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 he wasn't put in jail. For he finally had made up his mind to keep out of trouble. That is, he made up his mind to keep out of trouble after his girlfriend had told him... Look, will you listen to me? Why can't you behave yourself? Why must you always be in trouble? I'm getting sick of hearing about all the fights you get into. If you're such a great fighter, why don't you fight professionally? At least you get paid for it that way. Okay. So he'd be a boxer. 
And he did become a boxer, a good boxer. So good that he held his own with such great fighters as Jack Dempsey and Gene Tunney. However, this young Italian did not make boxing his career, even though he could have been a great boxer. For strange as it seems, this man, who could have been a great boxer, loved to write poetry. And he wrote good poetry, too. For it was this rough, tough prize fighter who wrote the following lines. That beloved blossom, a baby's face seems to be love's resting place. And a million kisses tenderly linger there in ecstasy. Yeah, a rough, tough prize fighter wrote those beautiful lines. But he gained no fame as a poet, nor did he gain fame as a prize fighter. But he did make a living as a dancer. That is, he made a living as a dancer until one day when he went broke in San Francisco. And because he was broke in San Francisco, he went to a friend for help, a friend who gave him help. But this friend bought this young Italian a railroad ticket to Los Angeles. And it was in Los Angeles that he got his big break. For a short time afterwards, this young Italian was making a million dollars a year. That's right. He was making a million dollars a year. Ah, but not as a boxer. And not as a poet. Uh-uh. No, in Los Angeles, he became the greatest lover that the screen has ever known. For you see, this former Italian boxer and poet was Rudolph Valentino. I'm the Sheik of That's the incredible story of Rudolph Valentino. But maybe you'd like to know the name of Rudolph Valentino's friend. That friend who got him that railroad ticket from San Francisco to Los Angeles. The friend who enabled Rudolph Valentino to get his big break. That friend was famous then, and he's still more famous today. Yeah, he is famous. For this man who was responsible for giving Rudolph Valentino his first big break was Al Jolson. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the 3-0 mark for tonight. Next Friday night, we'll be back same time, same stations, when our guest will be the famous baseball star, Jackie Robinson. See you then. Until then, I'll be seeing you on the screen in the news of the day, newsreels at your favorite Lowe's or Associated Theaters. Now, until next Friday night at this very same time, this is Bill Stern wishing you all a good, good night. Kobe safety man, the Stern is on the air. Kobe safety man, the Stern, the story's rare. Take Bill's advice and you'll look keen. You'll have a face both smooth and clean. Kobe shapely man, Bill Stern. C-O-L-G-A-T-E. At last, a good tasting way to help prevent tooth decay. That's new Colgate ammoniated tooth powder. Created in Colgate's research laboratory. Contains the revolutionary dental discovery that helps prevent new cavities. Plus, Colgate's exclusive foamy cleaning action and a refreshing minty flavor you'll enjoy. Get Colgate ammoniated tooth powder today. Economical four-ounce size, only 43 cents. Who'll make the 1949 All-American football team? Read Bill Stern's preseason choice in the September issue of Sport Magazine on your newsstand today. Bill reveals inside tips on the football greats of the coming season that every fan should know. Read them in Sport, the outstanding picture and story magazine about champions in every field of sport. September issue, out today. Portions of the Bill Stern Show tonight were transcribed and came to you from New York. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. That's the Bill Stern Sports Newsreel from August 19, 1949. His special guest, Dizzy Dean, sponsored by Colgate, is heard on NBC.
Let's take a quick break. Then it's more of the WGN Radio Theater. I want to remind everyone listening that there are five free classic radio shows waiting for you at our website, 100radioshows.com. When you log on to the number 100radioshows.com, go to the top of the website, put your email address in. You will instantly be sent an email from us with five classic radio shows. And those shows are... That would be Jack Benny, Fibber McGee and Molly, Suspense, Gunsmoke, and Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Right. They're absolutely absolutely free. Log on, get your five free shows. And if you decide to purchase any of the other hundreds of classic radio shows available at that site, make sure you use the promo code radio at checkout because you'll save how much, Lisa? Save 70%. And we really appreciate our listeners. And this is our gift to you. We appreciate you staying up late with us. We're here till three in the morning. And if you can't get enough classic radio show on Saturday night, we hope that you'll check out the 100radioshows.com. We will be back next Saturday night, 10 p.m. for eight great shows. We've got Suspense, The Life of Riley, Crime and Peter Chambers, the story of Dr. Kildare, You Bet Your Life, The Jack Benny Program, The Screen Director's Playhouse, and Guest Star. So wow. we hope that you'll uh, be with us next Saturday night, 10 o'clock p.m. That's right. Eight shows coming your way. We'll see you all next week.